cult classic. Um, so, you know, I mean, it came out around the same time as like the Dark Crystal. Do you remember? I, that? I was oh. literally just googling that. I'm like, yeah. I was like, it was a labyrinth or Dark yeah, Crystal Dark that Crystal. I remember. They were they're about the same kind of time that those happened. I don't think I saw the Dark Crystal. Where have you been? Girl, I don't Where know. Were you in the 80s. Girl, this, this shows up. This shows that this is this is this now shows like this shows about me. It's like really queen. <laughs> <laughs> what the fuck have you been? Wait, what is that? That's so, that's, that Muppet is so creepy looking. Yeah. Is that the Dark Crystal? Yeah, that's the Dark Crystal. It looks like part like monkey kind of puppet kind of. Muppets were the shit in the 80s. I don't care what you were doing. If you didn't sing Rainbow Connection, you were fucked up. If you did, oh my. You know what's funny? When I was learn when I was first taking vocal lessons, that was the first song. And I remember when my teacher pulled out the the sheet music, and it was the cover was Kermit. Yeah. And I was like, you got to be fucking kidding me. <laughs> I am not singing a Kermit the Frog song. I'm thinking I have to sing like him, you know, just because he was on the cover. And she's like, no. Don't you already? <laughs> sing right. like Kermit the Frog. <laughs> I was like, calm down. I'm like, I'm <laughs> Am I learning how to impersonate Kermit, Kermit in, this, in this gig? So, but no, I mean, that was that was definitely yeah. one of the we songs. Had an elementary school teacher, and she would, like, if we were being rowdy, she would break out that little weird harpsichord thing that you play on your lap. What's that thing called? The little, she would, like, strum it. Oh, yeah, wait. The uh, keys. She would play, like, two chords of, like, Rainbow Connection, and the kids <clears> were, like, would be silent, and we would all start singing. It was so cultish and weird. How many yeah, songs? I was, I was, we songs were into it. We were like, like, literally, she could have forced us to kill people, and we would have done it. <laughs> you guys are singing, and she, we like, I can just see this group of kindergarten kids walking out singing Rainbow Connection with knives. It was very Children of the Corn craziness happening. Oh, my God. And then one of the kids in the class was turned into that, that pink bunny. <laughs> yeah, exactly. exactly. It's full circle. It's full circle. Well, let's just let's hear Under Pressure just for a second, just because I just want to hear it. All right, here we go. I think it's great. I think <laughs> and that's what's most important. Um, I know you were just talking about... Um, Vanilla Ice. Because <laughs> <laughs> okay, you know what's sad is that now when I hear the beginning of that, that's... Well, yeah, Josh. that's what happens with sampling. That's why you got to pay them. It's like... You hijack fuck. someone's baseline and you... You'd think you're gonna just keep it for yourself. I think I think they had to pay him a lot of money for. That. I hope they paid him a lot of money oh, yeah, for that. Literally I mean, ripped. But that was you have to remember sampling was a new thing. It was no one knew really kind of how to how to capitalize on it. So people just pirated it. Well, it definitely reminds me of that. I also remember 
it also reminds me of him being. Do you remember when they used to do uh, on Living Color? They used to do those like fake music videos yeah. and like redo all the words. And all I remember is them doing Ice Ice Baby, and he goes, because um, didn't he get stabbed? Yeah, he got right. Stabbed. So he's like, so the so the lyrics that they changed it to is, I said I got stabbed in the butt, but it really was a toilet paper cut. <laughs> That's all you remember. That's all I remember. They, they did this whole thing, and they're just like, I said I got stabbed in the butt, but it really was a toilet paper cut. <laughs> ding 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 ding. ding. <laughs> yeah, and he really didn't get stabbed though. Really no, I. Who was it who beat his ass? There was some producer that just hung him out a window and said, I'm going to kill you and. Some some shady music, definitely some shady. And shit. now he's got a home improvement show on HGTV. Does he really? No, yeah, he does. I mean, is totally it, like is it good? Mentions. It's weird because you just wait for him to sing this song at any time. But oh, now I know why you don't go to movies. You're at home watching <laughs> Ice 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 Baby on fucking home improvement shows. I like watching people renovate homes. That's my thing. I know. Well, I I kind of like that too. But I don't know about Vanilla Ice. <laughs> I'm gonna. Like, I'm gonna <laughs> can you just does he does he like does what's he, his style? No, he really he goes in. He's a contractor now, and he just like fucking tears up the kitchen and puts in like new stuff. And it's you know. Well, three years later <laughs> years later um, but we recorded Let's Dance which is what you were talking about and this is 1993 and it contained like Modern Love which you remember China Girl My Little China Girl all that stuff um, and Let's Dance I mean that right that's yeah, kind that's of the song, song that was right in the middle of me being a teenager and probably you yeah. as well um, do you know the song Philip? yes I know the song you do? yes yeah. <laughs> I'm like who doesn't know this stuff? Smoking clothes and sniffing poppers. <laughs> Seriously, like this song is like totally like that time. Yeah. I had jet blue black hair. I was going to high school at Santa Monica. Actually, I wasn't. I think I was. I wasn't high school yet. I was in junior high school, but just about. And just that time when I was being rebellious. You were in Southern California. I was in Southern California. Oh, I was in rural Georgia, girl. We were like wearing our parachute pants. We thought we were doing it. Oh my God! Yeah. Do you know that just reminded me that when I because I grew up. Part, when I was in junior high school, I was in Marina Del Rey. And Marina Del Rey is it like... It sounds really white. It is really <laughs> white. And very like straight and, you know, very concerned. Like it's not cool and hip. And I was hanging out with a bunch of like really cool kids, right? So I went to school and there was this one girl who was my friend and she lived in this complex that I lived in. So she, we went to the same school. So she's like, okay. And she's like a punk rocker girl. And I was like, this bitch is cool. So we went out and I bought like parachute pants and all this shit. And I went to school the next day. I, I remember this because I was the only one who look like this and I got so much <laughs> shit I mean you would have thought I was an alien because of these pants that I was wearing I mean I looked really fucking cool but I had like you know blue black hair and you know just all that all that stuff was going on during that time and Let's Dance was but I remember like you know a bunch of redneck kids trying to be cool was so bad it's embarrassing it's yeah really I mean bad. I'm sure where you would you say Georgia, rural Georgia rural Georgia country way out in the country like there's like 25 kids in the whole class well, was
was it? What was it like here in? Uh, <laughs> what year was that? Oh, you weren't even. Oh, wait, you weren't even born, born yet. yet. Yeah, oh my God. Wait, what? Eighty-three. Eighty-three. Yeah. She's like, no, girl. No. Uh, she was in. She was in her mother's womb still, <laughs> planning, planning the outfits. <laughs> Four years out. <laughs> right. So you know, over the next decade, he bounced back and forth between like acting and music, and the music was actually suffering. Um, outside of a couple like semi hits, um, basically his musical career kind of languished a little bit. Um, he did some side projects with some musicians, and he put out um, two albums, Tin Machine and Tin Machine 2. Um, both proved to be flops. And um, his hyped album, Black Tie, White Noise, um, which Bowie described as his wedding gift to his new wife, um, supermodel Iman, I backward with her, um, also st struggled to resonate with buyers. Like, they just it just didn't fly the same way that it had flown for so many years. Right. And even though he's still a legend, he just wasn't making, making the new stuff. Um, so here is a really crazy fact. So, oddly enough, the most popular Bowie creation of that period were these things called Bowie Bonds. What? They were financial securities that the oh artist, wait, listen, that the artist, <laughs> artist himself backed with his royalties from his pre-1990 work. So he, he issued these bonds in 1997 and earned $55 million from the sale of, of these bonds. And then and he started the, an internet company where he <laughs> right, right. Bonds, and then the, the, the rights to his music back catalog were returned to him when the bonds matured in 2007. Wow, that's Isn't that, genius. That's genius. Yeah, that's genius. I mean, I, I was re I, when I read that, I was like, what? I didn't who, know you could do that. Who, who, who thought of that? Who, 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 I mean, right? Who even knew you could do that? But I guess the musical rights are what's worth the money. Right. But to, ha to be able to get like $55 million just by selling these bonds, like that's just nuts. I mean, it's, it's, it's pretty, um, it's pretty, I mean, it's who pretty. Buys, who buys that? You know, who buys into this idea? The people that are on Bowie Net. <laughs> the people that are on Bowie Net. Um, okay, we're, we're, actually, um, we're actually winding down here already but we we can't we can't leave this without talking about this so this next song was a song that was written by Marvin Gaye originally oh and it became God. popular in 1964 um, when uh, Martha and the Vandellas did their version and it reached very you know high on the charts and stuff like that and then the Mamas and Papas did a copy and then uh, did a cover and then Van Halen did a cover and then these two guys decided to get together and Girl. do this cover David Bowie and Mick Jagger this is so bad. <laughs> I, when I was a kid, I don't know. Do you remember Friday night videos? Yeah, it was for the poor people who didn't have MTV, so they could only uh, watch. No, I don't. One one time, <laughs> I was just I was just trying to do that. She's she's she's, she's at home. Yep, you lost Marina, me. Friday, yeah, exactly. Marina Del Rey. You, lo Del you lost Rey, me at yeah. poor. Yeah, she's got her parachute pants to take off. Um, <laughs> but Friday night videos came on at like midnight and played to like two in the morning, and you had to stay up late to do it. So. I do remember that. But actually. you know, it's for people who did. It was regular TV, so it wasn't MTV, but it came on super late. So we would stay up and we record it on our VHS. I know you don't know what that is, do you? <laughs> anyway, VHS. Girl, I know what a beta is, too. Yeah, exactly. We had microwaves and everything. So um, <laughs> we were recorded on VHS. And I remember I was staying up late to record. Like I think it was like, of course I'm gay. So who's that girl? Or something. I really wanted to like record the video. Uh -huh. And this motherfucking video was all the time. All right, guys. Uh, Sounds from the Street is officially back. Thank you so much for closing the window. Um, we're having uh, some kind of comedy uh, going on here at Mutiny, and uh, we're just—I'm just excited that we're not doing an event today. <laughs> that was some crazy-ass shit. Oh, you're trying to plug in? Um, I think you can plug in. There used to be like a. Oh, this thing. Right? Yeah, there should be something like in the back there to plug in. I feel like I've had these headphones for decades. Well, yours on air right now. Yeah. <laughs> no worries. 
Oh, it's fine. If I can, it used to be um, Crystal when she was my producer. If she had headphones on, if at least one person can hear what the hell's going on, that's better than nobody. Whoops. Oh, <laughs> Smooth operator. Smooth operator. Oh my God, she would be great to see in concert. I'm not even joking Saturday. right now. <clears throat> so how have you been? I haven't seen you in two weeks. Yeah. <clears throat> <clears throat> so this is uh, Paolo Picardo from the Hear Me Out podcast. Just been uh, pursuing my associate's degree at uh, Foothill College in music technology. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So exciting. So are you looking to do more like DJ, like going playing like live shows? or? Uh, I think it's kind of writing music okay. mostly. Um, it's kind of hard to get booked in this city. Oh, Lots yeah. of stuff going on. So yes. competitive. Yeah. Yeah. I'm sure once you make that connection, you know, you never know who you're going to meet, which is kind of cool about the the comedy thing. I feel like the, our station really has it done to a science in terms of, you know, comedy, underground comedy in San Francisco, in the Bay Area and being connected. Yep. Um, I feel like I'm connected too, to a certain extent. And sometimes I forget because some people you don't talk to all the time or you don't see them face to face. It's just like a quick email. Yeah. That kind of thing. So this is your, your podcast. It's called Sounds Sounds from the Street. That is right. And unfortunately you didn't see me last week because I was hauling ass to the Castro. It felt like every other night going to some of the films that they were having for the San Francisco Film Festival. Okay. And that was really cool. They did have a screening, uh, here in the Mission at the Victoria Theater. That was about two weeks ago. Um, so a lot of them were music films, and I had, used to work with somebody who uh, we both worked at Landmark, and he was on the marketing side, and I was just you know doing concessions or whatever. But he knew that I did a podcast, and he was like, "Oh yeah, you should you know cover the festival, get accredited." And I was like, eh, "I don't know, like it's not something I would normally do." But then somebody reached out to me and was like, "Hey, do you want to be a part of this? Do you want to cover it?" And I was like, "Sure." Let me do some research and see what you guys have going on. So uh, a lot of music films. Uh, The major film that I went to on uh, Sunday night was actually a film that's going to have a pretty big release, I want to say, that wasn't music. It was more political. A political thriller is what they call it. And it's starring uh, Karen Knightley. Uh, Unfortunately, she wasn't there. Oh, no. But the subject of the film was there, Catherine Gunn. I guess she's kind of well-known in you know, journalist, media, news-related circles. Um, she was the whistleblower who uh, let people know that the U.K. and the U.S. were in it together in terms of trying to go to war in Iraq. Mm-hmm. And people, I guess, didn't know about it yet. This was back in 2003. And uh, she, le- she received the memo because she worked for a U.K. government entity that, you know, occasionally got you know memos like that and uh she uh put it out there leaked it to a journalist and was like hey like they want to go to war like we need to stop this this is wrong so cool it's not like definitely not like yeah hey come over to my house for a beer it's like yeah let's start a war <laughs> let's start a war yeah so yeah. she felt like i'm a humanitarian <laughs> yeah she looks good in a corset for sure oh yeah Kira definitely oh yes in a she does in pirates i don't know how many pirates of the caribbean movies God, there are so but she's great she's a she has a good jaw jawline jaw structure yeah, cheekbones actually cheekbones yeah i admire her, her cheekbones yeah <laughs> i'm not quite there i feel yet. like uh, all people without cheekbones just feel uh, inferior <laughs> It's like, yeah. dang, I can't see my cheekbones on my face. Shoot. 
Yeah, she's probably one of my favorite actresses. Um, yeah, she's great. She's great. Also, the girl who does Black Swan. Uh, who does Black Swan? Natalie Portman. Yes, they're in the same boat. Oh yeah. yeah. Cool. So, say, what is the what is this episode, this podcast, kind of about? Can you give me some? Um, so I want to focus uh, on uh, some of the interviews um, that I did during the San Francisco Film Festival. Uh, primarily, primarily the interviews I did with Catherine Gunn, the subject of Official Secrets. Gavin Hood was the director, and Martin Bright was a journalist that was also featured in the film. Keep in mind, I didn't know anything about this film, and I'm just kind of. Um, you know, learning more about, you know, what some of these people are. It's just like pure curiosity, like, oh, this mm-hmm. is interesting. Um, but yeah, uh, some of the other interviews I did were Jacob Dylan and uh, the director of uh, Echo in the Canyon, Andrew Slater. That was also a good interview. That was that was on the phone. And who else did I interview? Oh, family members for Miles Davis, the famous uh, jazz mm, yeah. trumpeter. Uh, his family members, um, who were also subjects in the film. So yeah, you want to stay tuned for those. And, um, you know, just intermittently playing some music that would cater to some of those films, particularly Echo in the Canyon. Another good one I saw was... Um, uh, bring uh, show me the picture, the Jim Marshall story, and he's actually a really famous San Francisco rock photographer from the '60s Ooh. up until uh, 2010 when he passed away. And he did like 500 album covers. He had a really amazing career, and I didn't really know him by name, but if you saw his pictures, you would definitely know it was him. For sure. Uh, talked to the director um, who won an award at the festival, um, Alfred George Bailey, and I talked to uh, Jim Marshall's assistant who was also the producer of the film Amelia Davis so hopefully interweave some of those interviews um, within the next hour or so how does that sound that sounds great I'm just here along for the ride well I appreciate you oh can I make a little announcement oh yeah go for it cool 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 so um, my podcast usually Wednesdays at 10 a.m. is being moved to Saturdays at 10 p.m. so when you guys are turning up or turning down you can listen to the hearing now podcast 10 p.m. on Saturdays. I think I start on May 4th. So. Oh, nice. Yeah, and my my affiliation with Asia, kind of just helping her out with. Uh, yes. Kind of. Uh, it's been so half-ass long. interning. Half-ass. Um, <laughs> so. Well, hopefully, yeah. But yeah, hopefully it turns into something cool. Yes. Hopefully, yeah. We're kind of just. I mean, it's still kind of the beginning, even though it's been a couple of weeks. We're yep. just kind of seeing how things go. And um, oh, I didn't ask you. How did you feel about the organizing event? That was also. Oh, three the weeks Elizabeth ago. Warren thing. Yeah. Yes, that happened. That was cool. Yeah, I'm not really into politics too much. Yeah. Um, but I like that people were passionate about the subject. Right. Yeah, they were very passionate. And I was so I was actually surprised at the turnout. I had never actually hosted an event where that many people showed up. I've done interviews where people, you know, came in because they wanted to listen to the interview or they wanted to talk to whoever I was interviewing, but never yeah. like a huge group like that. Yeah. So that was pretty incredible, and I'm actually still in touch with those people. We have a Slack group going, and Ooh. I guess it's really early, so some people aren't comfortable like going to events and trying to promote her as a candidate, but I feel like it's either now or never, especially because Joe Biden just announced his candidacy, and uh, I know you're probably not interested, but um, anyways, I think she's a really interesting candidate, and she has a lot to offer, and I hope that people yep. will look her up. And um, she's been making some headlines actually in the past two weeks since we did the 
the yep. event. So people are going to be like, oh, that's interesting. And then they're going to decide if they want to go with what's worked in the past. She probably has a collection of uh, blazers in her closet, I'm assuming. Oh, yes. She actually has a... Um, is, is female blazers like a yes. pol- politician? It is. Uh, Long sleeve. Um, what does she wear? She wears like those kind of uh, sweaters. But they're open in the front. They don't have like a button closure. Oh, a sweater, yeah. Oh, and not, no button, just straight line. Yeah, exactly. But it looks mm-hmm. very elegant on her. Like she makes right. casual look elegant. <laughs> that makes sense. Yeah, it's like so um, we got a lot of choices, people. I guess there's 23 candidates. So pick yep. your poison. <laughs> yeah. But anyways, that was you know something to get under our belt. You were there. You witnessed history. So yeah. That was good, and um, yeah, so here we are, and um, stay tuned for more Mutiny Radio. I should have something queued up, and I do not. Oh, iPhone, I actually, yeah, that's a great way to run a podcast, just iPhone. Yeah, normally. Pretty easy, yeah. Yeah, normally it's the two of us, but stay stay tuned, and I'm trying to figure out what interview do I want to play for you guys. That's the other thing when there's there's more than one. All right, let's start with uh, Miles Davis. Cool. Channel 4 in the UK. Mm-hmm. And that one was really good. It was, it was uh, really long. Uh, well, we wanted to kind of make another one, uh, updated version. And uh, Stanley Nelson came to us years ago. But uh, for some reason, I can't remember why we weren't able to make it at the time. And we wound up doing um, the Miles Ahead feature film. That took up a lot of time, several years. Um, I know. I know. I'm not. And then after that, Stanley not, came back. I, I don't want to like. And, and you we know, had another meeting with him. Already, it was time to do it. Everything lined up. American Masters, Eagle I mean, Rock. It was great. Sometimes it's all about timing, yeah. in life in general. So for whatever reason, right now is the best time. And you guys have been going to different film festivals. Is that right? Yes. The word is getting out, the buzz is getting out, and we make as many festivals as we can in conjunction with the film. And what's been the most memorable experience so far? Just the positivity. What about your band playing the Sundance? Yeah, we played the Sundance called Miles Electric Band. This guy's played with Miles. So that was the party after the film, after the screening, two screenings in Sundance. But the, the, um, the, uh, the uh, comments been overwhelming. Everybody loves the film, right? I mean, everybody we've talked to. It's it's, it's different from the Miles Ahead. Miles Ahead was what it was, Mm -hmm. you know. A little fiction added to it. But this documentary Mm. is is on point, we we feel. What do you feel should be the big takeaway for fans and maybe people who are just discovering his music? Big takeaway? I mean... For people who are just discovering his music, I mean, it would be, it's a very interesting film, just whether you know who his, he was or not, or you're familiar with his music or not. But, uh, I mean, I would just take away how he was always changing and changing his music and, 
you know, he he loved his band members, but he'd have to change bands and change sounds, mm-hmm. change bands to achieve new sounds, and you know, uh, you know, those were the things that I, I I would take away from it. Just his his constant need for change and creative output. And does it fo- does this film focus on Birth of the Cool in that particular album, or is it pretty much an overarching? Uh, itinerary of his career. But the, the cool is it's 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 this is it's life. It's, it has nothing to do with the record. Mm-hmm. You know? But um, it's, it's, it, it touches it, on it. It touches on it. Yeah, mm-hmm. of course. But it's 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 a, it's a, it's a, it's, a, it's a documentary about his life. If you don't know about Miles, you you would walk away learning a little something. Hopefully, you get something. What made the man the man? Mm-hmm. You know, it delves into his his inner. Yeah. It's energy, you know. I love it. I, I, when we uh, viewed it last night, it was I saw something different that I didn't see the first time. We, we uh, checked it out Sundance, and we had links when we when before Sundance. We loved it then. This is like our third, like our third or fourth time watching it. Mm. And every every time we get a little something different. Yes. It's kind of like a good record, oh, yeah, like a good right. Miles record. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> exactly. Like Kind of Blue. I used to Kind of Blue, and I always thought, wow, wow, I didn't hear that. We're doing a mix of Sketches of Spain and, and Kind of Blue. We're, we're headed to uh, Europe, to Germany. Mm-hmm. It's a new format, and, and Aaron and I were at Capitol Records listening to those two records. It was like, wow. Yeah. It's like you're in the orchestra, you're in the session of Kind of Blue, you're in this. It was a Dolby Atmos. Yeah. Uh, oh, nice. Surround. Yeah, surround me. What people don't know is we get excited, you know, to be, you know, this this legacy is like, this is not, you know, this is part of our DNA, it's part of what we do, but it's it's like, it's like, you know, it's like breathing. You know, it's, it's beautiful. Is it normal for you when people ask you questions about your family? <laughs> <laughs> if they're right questions, <laughs> you know, if they're cool like you, you know, I hope they are. People aren't informed that they don't do their homework, mm-hmm. you know. And, but we we're pretty cool. You know, Aaron and I are pretty peaceful. Yeah, but don't you couldn't do that with Uncle Miles. But we, we love talking <laughs> to people who don't know anything about it. Yeah, because you know, as much know. as as much as you know, somebody who only writes about jazz or only writes about Miles or mm-hmm. you know that kind of stuff. You know, I love talking to younger, uh, you know, young reporters who don't always have all the historical back. That's fine, but I mean, but you know, this, this, like I said, this film is a great vehicle for that. You know, it takes, you get a really a, a good idea of what happened in his life. Some of it good, some of it bad. That's what <laughs> uh, well, everyone. I know, right, right. But it's it's good, I think. I think in this age of social media, there's a lot of only showing the positive side of things. But I think with this uptick in documentaries, particularly music, you can kind of see the whole story, not just part of the story. Right. Well, there's always the story that you hear from people or you hear you know, in magazine articles or whatever, or snippets of interviews, you don't get the whole story. But this, we feel like this documentary will bring you the whole story. As, as and and uh, I, mean, I don't want to give away anything. Yeah. It, just, <laughs> it just really does, you know, in a really cool way too. Yes, and uh, what would you say was Miles' 
you know, biggest regret? What do you think he would have done if he would have continued making music? I honestly don't know that he had too many regrets. I mean, that I never heard him say, oh, I wish I never, I wish I did that. Because he, he was, since he was always moving forward, I don't think he really allowed for a lot of regrets. He would just address it going forward or not at all, or just, you know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. I don't think he, I don't remember him ever being like, did that or I mean you know I mean he expressed interest in other fields outside of music I mean he loved boxing you know he loved his artwork he loved architecture but you know I don't think he was like yeah I should have been an architect you know he was good (laughs) ah shucks (laughs) yeah maybe he wanted to be a prize fighter I don't know that would have been cool. I'm actually trying to get into kickboxing. Oh, yeah? Was he, I was doing some reading. Was he into fitness at different points in his life? Yeah, cardio. Um, Road ride. horses? Road horses. Boxed. Yeah, yeah definitely. Do you feel so cool to those clothes? <laughs> he was so fit. <laughs> and do you feel like that contributed a lot to his way of thinking and his way of approaching making music? I mean, you, you have to be determined to do it, you know, when you set goals. He was always just determined to, to, be, to keep his body together, you know, um, to, play, to, play the, to, to give the music what it needed, you know. You have to, that's what I got from him. Anything he set out to do, he did the best of, you know. So he, he, he knew his body was his machine, his body was his life. I mean, you know, you know what I mean? He knew what, his, he knew how to, what it needed to, what needed to be done to make that, that work, to have his mind right, you know. It was, it was something to, to, to behold, you know, to, to watch him, you know, to be around him, mm-hmm. you know, like a prize fighter. yeah it's like that mentality carries into other aspects of your life it's not just oh you look great you're clear clear thinking you're creative you're open to trying new things you know so i'm kind of picking up on that energy (laughs) through his music in a way yeah yeah. you can hear it right yes i mean he wanted that from from everyone in the band sure just from himself he wanted everybody to try new things Mm -hmm. like open yourself up and play play what you hear and don't worry about it you know don't worry about trying to please me you know just open it up it's it's actually really difficult to do and that's why all the guys he had in his band were such were wound up being such great band leaders in their own right because they they learned how to do that they they didn't have a problem in the end doing that you know mm-hmm. harvey hancock you know wayne shorter i mean these guys are like to me tony williams ron carter that's only one quintet i mean the, you know, <laughs> i can't imagine another quintet you know train and uh, okay it's just too much too much which one was your favorite collab uh, it's too hard to pick because Sometimes I feel like, man, I really just want to hear like when he used to play standards and they would just, I could just see them on the bandstand kind of swing in and, you know, play in the head, take a solo, take a solo, play us out, you know. Or, and then other times in the 70s where it's just like, wow, what's going on on stage there? You know, with all the electric <laughs> bands and the yeah. wah-wah and the trumpet. And, and then the 80s, you know, when Vince was in the band and I loved, I grew up, like that was... To me, that was the best music. At all. I listened to a lot of music when I was a kid, and I, but to me, the stuff he was doing in the 80s, 
you know, doesn't get the recognition I think it deserves sometimes. Mm. Uh, you know, so. And then, of course, there's always kind of who which sounds good anytime. Yes, seriously. <laughs> yeah. When I'm, when I can't figure out what to play, just put it on. Yeah. <laughs> Soundtrack to life. <laughs> What's your favorite collab? Um, well, I love Tony Williams, so anything with Tony Williams, but like Aaron says, um, I have a, on my playlist, I mix it up, you know, because I'll go to Kind of Blue, then I'll go to Sketch of Spain, then I go to On the Corner, then I go to Bitches Brew, then I go to uh, Yonder Arrest, then I go to Decoy, you know, so um, just his entire career. But I mean, Tony, I have a, Tony, I love Tony Williams. And Jack Deason and Alfred, and Jack Rose, Max Palmer, and Max Rose. So, so, um, anything Miles? I don't, I, you know what I mean? I'd get something out of it. all this is different, um, you know, you know, times in his career. There's a long list. Yeah. <laughs> the fun thing is, Aaron and I have the privilege to 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 talk to the musicians who. Who've, you know, contributed to Pitches Brew. We talked to Ron, we talked to Herbie, we talked to Lenny White, we talked to Jack, we talked, mm -hmm. you know, and we get the bird's eye view, you know, like the inside scoop on what it was like. You know, Lenny White said when he did Pitches Brew, he didn't know how it would sound until he purchased the record, you know, because it was like four drummers and three keyboard players and two basses and, you know, the Pitches Brew. Powerhouse. Yeah, yeah. And, and until it was finished, he didn't know what it, what it would sound like, you know, the final outcome until he bought the final. He said he was walking to the record store in San Francisco, and he saw nice. it in, in the store. <laughs> <laughs> we <laughs> still have him. And the store was about to close. And uh, he banged on the window. So he, and Lenny had to say the story, anyway, and, and he got a copy. He read it. He, he looked at it to see where his name was, you know. <laughs> so that's kind of cool because it's record store day to day. So, you know, back when albums were like the way to go vinyl. You listen to vinyl? I do. Yeah. It's making a comeback, oh, yeah. I think. Resurgence, yeah. And today the is... CDs, listen, the CDs are fading out. They're phasing out. I still have them. I do, too. <laughs> <laughs> We're old school like that. Streaming and vinyl. It's a good topic. Yeah. yeah. I'm glad vinyl's back. I need it. Yeah. Because it's, it's such a foil for all, this, for all the in-the-box digital stuff. It's, I don't know, it's just not as authentic, I but feel. It's like, it's like almost tactile. You pick up the record and yeah. all the music is inside this it. thing. It. It's not coming from the cloud, it's coming from yeah. the acetate, vinyl. I mean, time to open it up. And open you got to take leave. care of it or it doesn't work. Yeah, that's right. Aww. <laughs> I can't, I it's like a baby. Already, yeah. <laughs> that's the only thing I hate. Did you guys ever buy, like, Two of the same album because you loved it so much and you knew you were gonna wear it out. Yeah, I mean sometimes, <laughs> sometimes I just do it by accident. <laughs> like I look Whoops. at the collection, I'm like, oh, I got a couple of those. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, we'll probably. I think we're gonna go run by Amoeba later to go see nice. uh, our friend DJ Amerigo Gazaway's uh, performing. And it's record store day. So. Absolutely. Uh, um, yeah, I've got I've got doubles of a lot of mild stuff because sometimes if I see them on eBay, I just, if they're in really good condition, I just try to get them. Or, you know, he gets them first. <laughs> <laughs> get what you can. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm sure you have a lot of uh, original pressings for miles. Yeah, I, I imagine. Really have any, anything like 
Nothing. Nobody knows. It's on the the wall at Amoeba. It can never yeah, be touched. Right. <laughs> and if people want to find out more about the film, is there an official Facebook or yeah, I think website? I know the Instagram is Miles Davis Movie. Okay. And in the film, I would look at Firelight Films. Is that's Stanley Nelson and Directors Production Company? Mm-hmm. Or just Google Birth of the Cool Miles, Miles Davis documentary. Sometimes when you hashtag Miles Davis movie, it takes you to the, uh, yeah. to the, to the Birth of the Cool website. Nice. Because yeah, yeah. that's where we want to be always. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So you come in Sunday, right? Sunday yes, I am coming tomorrow, tomorrow. afternoon, evening. Right. <laughs> it's at 4 o'clock, right? Yeah. yeah. Nice. I've never actually been to a screening yet at this... Oh, really? particular theater mm. have you guys been been to that theater no, before no. Oh, okay. no we were in berkeley yesterday nice yeah. the people were so nice the staff was nice it was really cool everyone's happy yeah. compared <laughs> to we love san francisco we love the bay area <laughs> do you guys come here often he plays there once yeah, except jazz oh nice i'll have to check you out then i've been there twice once yeah. sorry his name is there tonight and last night and her manager's did Miles from India, his name is Yusef Gandhi. Mm-hmm. So he found out we were in town and, you know, he tried to, he wanted us to come down last night, but we were out of Berkeley, you know. Narada Michael Walden wants us to have lunch. All our friends are here. <laughs> you know who Narada Michael Walden is, a great prolific artist. Yes. He's out there. But we can't do everything, you know. You can't. A lot of friends here. And are you guys based on the East Coast? No, I live in Los Angeles. Oh, nice. Yeah. LA. I don't know why I thought East Coast. I guess I was thinking Miles. He kind of got his start in New York. Yeah, I'm from New York, but that was a long time ago. I'm from Chicago. <laughs> Chicago. That's where my family's from. Oh, yeah. There's some jazz history in Chicago. Oh, yeah, jazz. Just blues. a little. Yeah. Buddy Guy's playing tonight here in the city. Oh, I would love to see him. I'm sure you've seen him plenty of times. Oh, yeah. yeah. We went with the Greek ones. Yeah. Harris Martin. It was cool. Yeah, that's a good show. But he's bad. <laughs> so many good shows, so little time. Well, any closing thoughts for tomorrow's screening or yesterday's screening? Well, uh, yesterday's screening just went really well. It was nice uh, Q&A afterwards. Uh, it was good to see the film again on the big screen. Uh, I'm just looking forward to tomorrow's screening at the Victoria. Yes, me too. <laughs> the Mission. Do you guys go to The Mission? The Mission District? The Mission District? Uh, I haven't been there for a minute, but yeah. Yeah. Lots of good food. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Well, it was a pleasure to meet you guys and uh, looking forward to tomorrow. Yeah, we are too. Awesome. All right, see you Oh my gosh. That was a better interview than I remembered. That was two weeks ago. God, it was incredible. It was it was such a like a rush to my nerves, but I was like, Aisha, like people spend decades and wait for this kind of interview. That's pretty much what it was. <laughs> um, but anyways, if you're just tuning in, um, you're listening to Sounds from the Street, and we're focusing uh, this week's show on San Francisco mm-hmm. Film Festival. 
uh, was an incredible experience. Um, I, ha- I did go to a screening last year, but I wasn't really involved to the extent I was this year. So I really appreciate uh, San Francisco Film reaching out and, um, you know, kind of broadening my interest in terms of being a journalist and just kind of being in the field. Like, that's not something that a lot of times you get unless that's, you know, your your passion. Like, I'm getting into journalism. I want to be on the AM dial or if you want to do Instagram and make that your, your way of doing things. I don't know. It just, that hasn't really been it for me, but, um, being here at mutiny, it's been a great experience so far. And, uh, Paolo is just starting out. So it's nice to kind of, yep. Just to pick her brain a little bit about yeah. being young and making decisions as a, I hope to be a, like a music journalist someday, but I just call it music blogger. It's more less threatening. I like it. Because uh, sometimes journalists <laughs> get killed. Like, sometimes Seriously. journalists get killed when they're on uh, assignment in, like, Rwanda. In Iran, Iraq. Yep. Um, you know, they watching. killed. I wonder if me or us just being in a very, like, political environment. I mean, it's always political, but, I mean, it's just more in your face. It's really affecting you directly. I think that's affected me as a, you know, journalist per se and, you know, wanting to get um, as many perspectives as possible or kind of get to the root of the story, which I think is right. kind of the essence of being a journalist. Right. But uh, music is our passion, so we'll stick with that. And again, uh, you just listened to an interview with Vince Milburn Jr. and Aaron Davis. They're both surviving family members of Miles, the Miles Davis, believe it or not. And uh, the film is called Miles Davis, The Birth of the Cool. And it is absolutely fantastic. If you don't know anything about Miles Davis, you'd enjoy it. If you know a little bit about him, you're going to love it. And you'll probably cry. Um, his family member was in tears while he was doing the, the Q&A after. Mm. So I just wanted to run up and be like, it's okay. It was a great film. Yeah. <laughs> but that's how you know it's good if it's you know touching people and... You know, um, really, you're really getting, I think that's what I like about film. If I was to be a filmmaker, I really enjoy documentaries because it's kind of like being here at Mutiny. You're just kind of getting to the root of it. You're interviewing the people that were there. You're using footage from that time period. You're you're, um, reading some of the words from the person you're making the documentary about. Um, Anything that was happening to shape their life. I don't know. I just find it so interesting, like an autobiography. If you're into writing, which I am. Uh, But yeah, definitely recommend seeing it. And um, we have a couple more interviews for you guys. The next one up is uh, Show Me the Picture, the Jim Marshall story. And this is the interview I did with Alfred George Bailey, who won the Audience Award at the San Francisco Film Festival last week. Is it an assumption that your audience knows the things you're interested in yes so you're not just like name dropping like george orwell <laughs> live at the fillmore like uh he's my fan you you obviously have a podcast following they're like okay i get down with i assume asia i get down with asia yes so they're down with you some of them i know over the years are people i've actually like worked with yeah. or known in person which helps but i'm sure on the internet like all those annoying events that i make mm-hmm. i feel like that helps too even if they don't like accept it or say that they're going i think it's still kind of putting it out in the stratosphere and then i have my twitter linked to my facebook so i know that nice. people find it that way as well yeah they find you as a source of all things Asia. All things about me. Well, I try not to make it about me. But. Yeah, I'm a bit meta. 
referential about my shit, so I'm trying to avoid that. <laughs> Get educated a little bit. Right, right. Yeah. Do you have any fun interviews confirmed for the next few weeks? Um, yeah, actually, I'm interviewing um, the owner of Devil's Teeth Bakery in the Sunset. So, cool. so they have excellent breakfast sandwiches. Mm. And also I'm interviewing uh, Dove One of Muti Music. He's a bass music and electronic producer. That's so cool. I definitely gear my interest to the work that I'm doing. Whatever I'm currently interested in, it could be random. It could be I'm interested in knitting. I'll, I will contact that knitting person and we will uh, vibe. So that's, Stitching bitch. Yeah. There's a stitch and bitch place um, near my house, actually. And I was like, it just popped up like in the past. Stitch and bitch. Years. Wow. What was that? <laughs> what is that? Explain yourself. So I guess uh, women or, you know, whoever considers themselves female um, by choice, um, they can show up and do a knitting hour and they just stitch and bitch it up and talk it up. Yeah. I mean, I guess we're all just a bunch of bitches when it comes down to it anyway. Oh, with females in general. Yeah. <laughs> I I kind of disregard um, I disregard uh, gender. Usually, we're Good. all people. We're all like, hey, you just have longer hair than me and boobs. So exactly. Yeah. I think that's a great way to to think of it. I think that we're. I, I feel like race is a race is a dividing um, organizer. Uh, but yeah, we look at race more than gender. I feel. Yeah, that's the one thing that I forgot to do today. I apologize. I normally read news stories. Oh great! I don't. I don't want to talk too much. So let me know what what, yeah, yeah, what yeah. else is on the show. Oh so. yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, well, because you brought it up about racism, uh, I just want to say you know condolences for the people that were affected by the shooting in Poe, uh, San Diego, um, at the Chabad uh, synagogue down there, and um, unfortunately, it's not shocking because of everything that's going on but i just wanted to bring that up because a lot of times you know some people want to pretend like things aren't happening and they are happening because of social media and because of our president so yeah i think i i think i moving forward i'm kind of mentoring myself here i i think i need to become more of like a tornado chaser like i need to there needs to be more urgency to the work i'm doing i have to chase that tornado definitely and find that story for sure Definitely. Yeah. I agree with you 100%. Yeah. yeah. But anyways, uh, we have a couple more interviews. Uh, you just heard the one I did with Miles Davis family members. And the next one is with Jim Marshall's assistant, Amelia Davis and Alfred George Bailey. Cool. So tell me about this film that is about Jim Marshall. I'm really excited to see it. Right. So, um, the re- how it started was I was uh, invited to an event at um, the Leica Gallery in London and Amelia Davis was there and uh, she was doing a tour of the book or just a launch of the book, Jim Marshall Jazz Festivals. And I know Jim Marshall for rock, so I was quite curious because I didn't know he'd done such extensive work in jazz. So I arrive at this, uh, I'm cutting a long story short, edited highlights. So basically, got there, walked up the stairs, and I was faced with this amazing shot of uh, Miles Davis. And I was like, oh, okay. And then I walked around, I saw Cannonball Adderley. Then I saw Duke Ellington. 
Then I saw, you know, it was one after the other, and I was like, <laughs> he did these? And I know the photos, but I didn't realise that Jim Marshall had taken these pictures. I was so blown away. And I was like some kind of, you know, uber nerd photography geek looking at the prints and seeing how beautifully they were done. And just the, the mastery of which Jim framed the image and, and you could see that he loved the subject that he shot. So Jason Hewitt, who's uh, head of like UK, introduced me to Amelia Davis, who's sitting next to me. And, I was like, uh, who is this weirdo with his face <laughs> pressed against the glass looking at the photographs? I, know. I love you already. Obviously, obviously it's like, it's like Rain Man autistic. Oh, gosh. But, um, <laughs> I love it. I love it. Yeah, but um, basically we, we met and we really spoke really well. Uh, we just spoke for really intensely for, for a short amount of time because Amelia had, you know, to give a talk and, 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 and just, um, you know, just get around and work the room. And we exchanged details and Amelia said to me, I'd really like to see your first film. And Jason had told her about the first film, how I'd shot it using Leica star lenses and what have you. Mm-hmm. And um, it was all in black and white. So we exchanged details and Amelia said, I'll try and I'll get to see it within two weeks and I'll get back to you and let you know, terribly sorry, and let you know how, um, how you know, what I think and we'll, we'll take it from there. Mm-hmm. So literally, as someone to her words, two weeks later I get this amazing email I'm saying, can we have a little FaceTime chat? And I thought I was going to get a critique on, you know, <laughs> like, you know, well, here are the bad points of the film, and you really should... And it wasn't. We had this really great talk, and we chatted, and then Amelia said this thing really, which still blows me away now. She said, if you're interested, I think, you know, I'd love you to consider maybe we're trying to get this documentary made on Jim. And I was like, if you're interested, oh, my God. And I was like, oh, yeah. You know, and then I know that they had a few false starts before because it's just it's such an an immense undertaking to because Jim did a lot, and once this I got into this journey, I didn't realize the extent of the work it is. Not only rock, jazz, mm. folk, blues, country and western, country R and B, R and B as well. Civil rights. The original R and B, right? Yeah. yeah, and it's 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 just. It's ridiculous what he shot, so I'm going to hand over to Amelia to, to as we do a little tag team here, because it's WWF. I remember those days. Yeah, Stone Cold Steve Stone, Austin. Oh my gosh, you know Stone Cold Steve Austin? <laughs> he was huge in the UK. He was the Rock. Massive. <laughs> the Rock, Stone Cold. Oh, those guys. But anyways, we'll keep it with Jim Marshall. And I yeah. see that you're wearing uh, a T-shirt branded. I am. And where did you get that? <laughs> JimMarshallClothing.com. We have, actually, it's great. We really do. We have some, all of Jim's iconic images on, on uh, T-shirts. So if anybody is a huge lover, you should go there. Great place. Um, but no, Jim, yeah, I was Jim's assistant for the last 13 years of his life. Wow. Um, and... We became very, very close, and Jim had no children. His photos were his children. Mm. Um, And so he really guarded them fiercely when he was alive, and he said, the only person um, I really trust to take care of my children when I'm gone is you. Mm. So when Jim passed away in 2010, Mm -hmm. I then inherited everything. Wow. And um, had the overwhelmingly awesome job of being the guardian of Jim Marshall's archive. Um, But yeah, a lot of people just know Jim 
for rock and roll. Mm-hmm. Um, and one of the things we really wanted to do with this documentary, um, when a documentary is done, especially on a music photographer, it becomes more about the musicians and the um, and the music rather than the person that took those photographs. And Jim is is too important of a, a character himself, not for it to be about him because it's really all of his life experiences and how he grew up that made him who he was and that allowed him the access to the people that he photographed. So I think it's going to be a real surprise for a lot of people because Mm -hmm. um, it really is very personal. It's very, very personal. It's about Jim as a human being and pieces of history that he's left behind for the world. And now, 50 years later, we're Mm -hmm. looking back at a lot of these pieces of history um, and thank God Jim was there to, to document them, you know? Absolutely. It's a, a piece of San Francisco. Yeah. You know, yeah. we were just talking about how San Francisco was really unique yeah. in the 50s and the 60s, you know, building up uh, to his career. Do you feel like that had a place in the documentary? Oh, yeah. We start, we start yeah. out with Baby Jim. <laughs> Baby yeah. Jim, literally. In Chicago, yeah. but then as a, oh, as, nice. a, as a child, he moved to to San Francisco. I'm not sure whether it was just his mum or was it mother and father. That I mother can't. and father. And then right. his father left. left left Jim when he was a young man. And um, it's just... I said this before when we was at the last film festival that I think if Jim's dad was very sweet, very kind, very nurturing and caring, we wouldn't be sitting here now. Because mm. he needed to have a father who... You know, it was it was a troubled man, a very bright, intelligent man, but you know, full of major flaws. And he left at a very critical point in Jim's life, and left Jim with a, a hole that I think he filled with his work, and he filled with other things. But mainly, he had the passion, the drive, and the determination to do what he did, and kicking the doors, metaphorically and sometimes physically, to <laughs> to, to to get places. But you know, you. Another point that's made that you need characters like this, because what happens? Oh, see, it got cut off. So that's that's where technology is gonna fuck you over, guys. <laughs> um, so I probably missed about half of the interview, and I remember because the phone froze. But I didn't want. I should have just said, "Excuse me," while I restart my phone. But they were like, yeah. they were so in the moment. I was like, "Well, whatever I get, I get." Like. It's not like people are going to want to hear the entire thing anyway. Or maybe they will. Yeah. But um, uh, part two might be happening. Um, They're going to be putting out an actual, like, coffee book of all of, or I'm guessing the highlights of uh, his most well-known photography. You know, Jimi Hendrix, Rolling Stones, Fleetwood Mac, you name it. You know. Yep. He pretty much covered it all. He was at Woodstock. He was at what other what other ones was he at? He traveled abroad too, I believe. Like he would just follow bands everywhere. And obviously, I kind of aspired to be like that. Maybe not as a photographer, but as a writer or as a you know a podcast person. It's so easy to just take your phone with you and start recording now. There really right. is no excuse. Um, yeah, it was it was a great interview, and the film was really emotional for me to watch because I'm. You know, I moved here when I was 20 years old, and now I'm going to be 33, and it was emotional because before I moved here, I knew about Haight-Ashbury, 
um, they kind of focused on, you know, that whole scene in San Francisco. Did you know about the penis cookies in in the Castro? The penis cookies? Yes, I saw it. The penis, you saw the penis cookies? Sorry, continue, continue. (laughs) Sorry sorry to interrupt. to lighten the mood. Interrupting cow, moo. Lighten the mood, you know? Yeah. Um, Yeah, the Castro. Uh, But where was this screening? No, this one was at the the San Francisco MoMA, which I'd never, I'd never been to a screening. Oh, this event was at the MoMA? Yeah. Oh, that's so cool. I love that museum. So much. Such a good, they just redid it. It's huge. Yeah. Um, but anyways, they have a, a room where they can do film screenings. And I don't know. I felt really emotional because I feel like, and we were just talking about this off the air, about how tech has kind of taken over. Yeah. And I was like, we have to go back to our roots. We have to be like Jim Marshall. We just have to get out there. And we have to, like you were just saying, find the story, get to the root of it. Yeah don't really rely on somebody else to give you that information. And we don't really, we don't have an excuse. And Jim Marshall didn't feel like he had an excuse either. He wasn't relying on anyone. He made a name for himself, you know? So I feel like that's, um, I don't know if you have a chance, if you're interested and you have a chance to see it once it has a bigger release, it's called show me the picture, uh, the Jim Marshall story. Very interesting guy, very brash, cursed, you know, carried guns. Like he didn't give a fuck. He was like an outlaw on the streets of San Francisco. Ooh, very cool. <laughs> it's a cool city to be cool in. That's yeah. for sure. So yeah, people know you for you sure. De- if you definitely want to be inspired, definitely see the film. Cause I definitely left the screening feeling that way. Like don't give up Aisha. You got this. Sometimes things fucking suck around you, but you gotta, you know, stay strong. Right, right, right. <laughs> So yeah, photography was a lot cooler back then, <sighs> capturing bands oh and God. all the parties. Now people are like, oh, my fucking morning bun with the Visco filter. I know. That's totally I wish there was the less way. of that, but you know. <laughs> I can't help it. It's like a... <laughs> my pressed juice. Yeah. Oh, is that pressed juice? Yeah, what kind of juice is this? Um, it's part of... There's it's different... chocolate? Is it's it chocolate? chocolate. For... It's chocolate almond. It's absolutely delicious. Yeah. It is part of a cleanse that I'm doing, and you drink six juices. You can drink more if you want to. Um, it is expensive, so I keep it to six and just drink tons and tons of water in between. Right, right. Um, but it really works if you stick to it. Some people don't believe in it. Some people want to yell at you because they say it's not healthy to do it. But I believe it works if you're doing it for a short amount of time. I think I've lost about 10 pounds since I've done it. <laughs> oh, nice. Because I was having some issues. But um, hey, I'm just trying to get back to normal here. Yeah, we, we need you healthy. So yes. more sounds from the street. More sounds from the street. So what, we, is, what, what is that name? What's, how did it arise? That's like sounds from the street? So White noise funny. or so bustling it, streets? Like yeah. what? It kind of goes back to like my history in terms of you know my music that I was into. So um, I grew up in Southern California. And the only way that you could really get music was either by downloading it illegally from Napster or LimeWire. Or you would actually buy the CD from Amoeba Records on Sunset Boulevard. Um, And that was at the time when Amoeba came out and pretty much put all the other record stores out of business, which, you know, is still the case. I mean, Amoeba's still there, and they aren't. Um, But I love Amoeba. I still do. Um, They have two here in the Bay Area. It's Bay Area-based. But anyways, I used to buy... You know, stuff that I would hear on the radio or I would read about, you know, in Rolling Stone or, you know, The Enemy. Like, 
physically reading about um, an album that came out like in the 70s or the 80s because I was a big fan of some of those other bands I was telling you about. The Seattle scene, uh, the SoCal scene, uh, Green Day, Rancid, all right. of those bands. So um, is, is music journal, there's this one music journalist from from uh, Los Angeles that I know, I forget her name, I think something Simmons, but you actually have to pay a membership to see her archive of work. <gasps> Smart lady in rock journalism. I needed to do that. That's terrible. All of my stuff is like free. Just, I just know. click. That's, you know. How do you? How do you? How does your work come off? Like your your uh, your uh, your work? Do you show people like, hey, it's, it's here? Or uh, how do you market that? Probably mostly social media now. Before it was more. Um, you know, like, hey, check out the interview. But now, I think talking to you, I think it would be good to do more videos, more... Yeah, I'm just a very flat. I, I, right now, I feel pretty flat with my creative work. I wish I could write. Like, I need to learn how to write. I can show you how to write. Yeah, like, I haven't written... I, I'm not very smart. I'm not I'm not stupid, but I'm like stupid, dumb, smart. <laughs> You're not dumb. I'm like dumb, smart. I wish I could describe, like, when I conduct an interview, it's just like a question, bang, question. Do you ever write down um, your questions? That's what I used to do in the beginning, because I was so shoot. nervous. I was really yeah. nervous. But once you get, excuse me, once you get past that point, you're just like, you're looking at the person, you know them, and you just start asking questions. How did it, like, what you're asking me now, how did it start? Yeah. What are your influences? What did you think of this film? That's totally how you do it. Yeah. That's how I that's how I do it. <laughs> yeah. You know. Um, but anyways, should we talk about San Francisco Film Festival that just happened Ooh, yeah, last yeah. week? Yeah, let's yeah, more, more. <laughs> so, uh, there's another music film uh, that happened uh, called Echo in the Canyon. And this one was really special because it was probably the last time that Tom Petty from Tom Petty and the Heartbreakers got interviewed by Bob Dylan's son, Jacob Dylan. So Jacob Dylan somehow got his friends named Beck and Fiona Apple and Cat Power, a lot of big names, you know, from the 90s that are still relevant today. And maybe you would already know that they were influenced by the 60s Laurel Canyon scene, which consisted of the Beach Boys, the Mamas and the Papas, the Birds, the Association. So the film is pretty much like a bunch of face-to-face -face interviews with the band members that were willing to do it that are still alive. Um, you know, how, you know, Laurel Canyon in general was influential, uh, a lot of live performances. I guess they did a special one-off show a couple years ago and they filmed it. Is Laurel Canyon like a beach town? Or yes. It are is. there surfboards like twice their height of the usual white man? So Laurel Canyon is more like in the hills. So I think okay. it's kind it's of... It's in LA, though. It's in LA. Okay, yeah. for sure. I'd say it's east of it's Malibu. Okay. Yeah. So I guess Malibu would probably be the closest beach. Tight. Or Palisades, or Pacific nice. Palisades, which is north of where I grew up, but still close by. It's interesting that when you do mention a musician or artist, you say, where were where were they, or which, which people they, they were surrounded by. That's yeah. kind of interesting. Mm -hmm. uh, I think that you, you would call that a scene. Uh, yes, and forced to label it, and yeah. it was interesting. And this doesn't ha maybe it still does happen, but you know how people can live on opposite ends of the world and they can conference in. Yeah. So this is back in the day where they didn't have that. They lived in the same neighborhood, so they would just pop on by. Like Ringo Starr would just show up at Brian Wilson's house, and they would start jamming together. 
stuff oh. like that. And that's how they would come up with a lot of the melodies and a lot of the songs and why, you know, sometimes, you know, Bob Dylan would cover, um, you know, somebody else's music, for instance. That was kind of mm-hmm. a folk tradition, you know, carrying it on. So it's like, I don't know, they were kind of maybe taking it a step further and using kind of the folk method or the ballads that you would find in, you know, folk history, but then taking it to the next step and collaborating. And then today it's like nonstop collaboration, right? (laughs) Yeah. Fanaticism of music has changed for sure. It really has, but um, it's a great film. And what was also great about this film is they did a Q and a, which is kind of awkward because Oh God, I'm afraid to say it. Um, I love Jacob Dylan, but anytime somebody would ask a question in the audience, he would throw it back at them. He would throw the question back in their face. Oh, shoot. So I was like, well, I'm glad mine was a phone interview. (laughs) Uh Um, There's nothing worse than getting embarrassed. I know, right? Everyone fucking hates getting embarrassed. That shit sucks. And you're so, I would be so fucking nervous. Are you kidding? Yeah. Like if Miles Davis' son did that to me, I'd be like, I'm not worthy. Like Wayne's World. They're not like black athletes like after the game. Like <laughs> all the white, all the white sports analysts are like, well, I love, I love Maltesers and black men. So, <laughs> so we'll definitely chew on that. I do like Maltesers. Chew on your way. stats. How did you know about that? Isn't that like a British candy? It is a, it is a British candy. Yeah. It's so good though, right? They're like malt balls, right? They are, yes, chocolate, indeed. Chocolate multiples. Multiples, multiples. So uh, let's, yeah, inter- more interviews, yeah? Yes. Uh, so here's an interview I did with uh, director Andrew Slater and uh, Jacob Dylan, who's Bob Dylan's son. And then I'll talk more about uh, what happened afterwards. How's that? Let's see. Let's see, y'all. Are you guys still with me? Yep, we're here. Perfect. Thanks again for joining. It's a lovely day here in San Francisco, and sounds like L.A. is doing great as well in terms of the weather. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, Very nice here, yeah. (laughs) Good, good. Great. Um, Well, you guys are going to be in town this weekend, and Saturday there's going to be a screening for Echo in the Canyon, which is the new documentary, um, and it's going to be featuring music from uh, very iconic bands, such as The Birds, The Mamas and the Papas, Buffalo, Springfield. Do you guys want to, one of you can tell me kind of how the project got started and um, why you guys are excited to be here in San Francisco? Uh, Andy, maybe you want to take that, huh? Well, the San Francisco Film Festival is, I mean, it's it's a uh, been around a long time and a very prestigious festival, and we were you know, very excited to have the film invited. The genesis for the project really was seeing another film that inspired an idea about going back and exploring uh, a bunch of songs that um, were originally part of California's you know, age of innocence in terms of rock music, and that was uh, the music from 65 to 67, uh, where people came here and folk music got electrified, and and the birds had a hit, and uh, that brought everyone to California in search of being in a band, mm-hmm. maybe like the Beatles, 
multiple singers and multiple songwriters and where they resided in Laurel Canyon. So mm -hmm. as we looked at this music, that was the beginning of, of life in Southern California, rock music and life in Southern California. It led mm -hmm. us to these songs, which led us to the bands, which led us to the stories behind the songs. Absolutely. To make the film. That's amazing. And how were you able to get um, other artists kind of from the 90s, Beck, Fiona Apple, Nora Jones, just to name a few? How were we able to, to get them? Mm -hmm. um, well, they're, they're friends of uh, either Andy's or mine, and they all have a connection to the California music that we're, that we're, um, that we're playing in the film. And um, I mean, I suppose it could have been, there could have been other people as well, but um, you know, we, we kept it with the, those are friends of ours, and that seemed like a good place to start because it, it, um, it seemed very organic, you know, to be around those people. And, and knowing them, I knew, we both knew that they, they especially Zach, I know him fairly well, to know that he knows that music very well. And, um, you know, and they have a great sense of California, all of them. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. This is true. <laughs> they all live there at one time, you know. I mean, some of them right. live there now. Mm -hmm. So it's another generation of artists, you know, paying homage to the people that, you know, uh, created the first wave of uh, of music in California in, in 65. Absolutely. And would you say that this music is going to be inspiring generations to come? So people who haven't been born. I, I think undoubtedly, I think it, I think, for sure, there's no question. And I think because it's based in in, in traditional great songwriting, um, you know, I think styles music will always come and go, but but that music will always be available to new generations. But but there won't be any difficulty for young people to discover those songs. But hopefully, maybe maybe we'll turn some people on along the way that are younger. I and mean, already we've heard great responses to people, you know, who who were there or who already recognize the music, but. Um, you know, there's no doubt that uh, these, these songs, they don't, they won't have a problem singing like that. They don't need our help, I don't think. I think they, that's not, mm -hmm. why, that's not why we did it, of course, but um, the, 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 the songs will persist always. I, I don't think that's an issue. Yeah, absolutely. And what would you want people to take away from seeing the film? What would be the, the overarching theme that you would want them to carry mm -hmm. along? Um, Andy, what do you think about well, that? Well, you know, I, I think that, uh, for one, just that the a little bit of the history of what happened in Southern California mm -hmm. and the, the idea that the echo of creativity mm -hmm. that existed between these people at this time, which exists in every, you know, you know, pocket of of, uh, of of artists, whether it's music or film or mm. or or art. Um, the one thing that you see from all of these people is that uh, they came together uh, in these groups uh, and collaborated with their own ideas within those groups because there were multiple singers and multiple songwriters, and then they collaborated with each with each other. Mm -hmm. And the echo of all of that has sort of transcended time, and you can see that in the work of Jacob or Beck or Fiona, some of mm -hmm. his music, the Beach Boys music, some of the Birds music, and hopefully that people will just be inspired and feel good about music that 
you know, elicits that kind of kind of response. I mean, so much of what's going on today, I feel like, is shrouded in a lot of just general negativity, just to the state of, you know, our affairs. And right. I feel like it's nice to have that feeling of of innocence uh, again. And hopefully, people will be. Some people will be nostalgic, and some people will just be happy that they got to see a piece of the past. And yes, that will definitely be me. <laughs> and Jacob, it sounds like you're going to be doing a performance after the screening. Are you allowed to give us any hints as to what to expect? Well, we're gonna. We're going to be up there with, um, with any, have you seen the movie yet? I'm imagining not yet, right? Not yet, no. Right? I'm excited to see it. Well, there's, you know, there's, well that's great. I mean, there's you know, there's a lot of uh, interviews, and there's also a cut with a, a live concert that we did. The mm-hmm. company um, these songs. We, we, in the movie, we perform some of these songs that um, uh, that you hear in the, in the film, and you see mm-hmm. people discussing. We, we often perform them. So we're going to come up with that band. We have Mandy Mimble Fallen and Echo in the Canyon Band, I'm not sure. Um, we're going to play. We're going to play. And we're, I think we'll do a Q&A. We'll answer some questions, and then we're going to have a good time and play some of the songs from the film. Nice. That's going to be amazing. And what would you say is the biggest highlight for you guys personally making the film? Mm-hmm. I think that's. I think making a film is the highlight, right? I mean, it's, 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 it's great that <laughs> so we got yeah. to the finish line, right? Yeah, and you know, yeah, we're, you know, yeah. I think, I think there was a time where that was the goal, but you know, yeah. it was a lot of work. Um, but the, the response that we've been having—that's um, you can't say it's a, it's a surprise. It's it's um, is that the reward um, to know that other people are responding to it and enjoying it the purpose we put into it. I think that mm-hmm. I think we're already getting that. I think we're the mm-hmm. reward is seeing people after the, the screenings and the way they're reacting. I think that that's that's, that's quite a bit to us. You know, Jacob and I love these people who are in the film. Mm-hmm. Like he said, a lot of them were our friends and people we admired, you know, their work. We got we were lucky enough to have them. You know, Stephen Stills came and played with with the Wallflowers, you know, back in the nineties and and mm-hmm. he's such an immense talent of the things that he wrote. So to be able to 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 sort of build a narrative story about the beginnings of this uh, movement, and then make something that not only the people who participated in it support, mm-hmm. but people like the San Francisco Film Festival yeah. um, acknowledge, is in and of itself, you know, just something amazing. I mean, we tried to make something. And we did it for the reasons because we love the music and we love the people, and the fact that that it's being recognized is is in and of itself just a, a great feeling. Definitely. Well, thanks so much for your time today, and I'm really excited to see the special screening here in San Francisco at the Castro Theater on Saturday evening. Maybe see you guys there. <laughs> All right, that'd be great. Well, you'll see us there. All right, thank you. All right. Thanks. Have a great day. Take care. All right. Yeah. Hi, Jacob. Hi. Hi. <laughs> Believe me, that's what I was doing. <laughs> 
No, I just remember when the Wallflowers came out in like 96, 97. I was really young at the time. Keep in mind, I was like 10 or 11, but that's when you could still watch music videos on TV. Like that was a thing. So, you know, that's how I learned about music too. It was just being. being I wish MTV existed. Just like there was so many, there was cartoons, Daria, there were cartoons, there were music videos. I guess I kind of, I'm old enough where I kind of had the tail end of that era i felt like i was in times square watching it oh so visceral mtv mtv yeah TR, remember trl request yeah that? yeah <laughs> jersey shore just kidding oh it That's got worse around. yeah <laughs> what, does, is, is mtv still on channel 43 is it, it is it right? is still around a lot of people don't have cable anymore so i watch unfortunately i watch teen mom sometimes occasionally not all the time. Yeah, there was Room Raiders. It was like a it was a show dedicated oh. to finding jizz on guys' sheets. Like I remember that. that, hmm, that was like let's dedicate 90. a whole show to finding jizz uh, via um, blacklight. <laughs> was like that, wow. Was that Speaking late, of embarrassing, was that late nineties? <laughs> no, that's the two thousands. Early two thousands. Okay. Yeah. When they did uh, uh, MTV Cribs, and yeah. They go to the famous Kim Kardashian's house. Yeah, I guess they they can do all that stuff themselves now. They don't really need like an intermi- intermediary anymore. Or they have their own show now. Props yep. to them. Would you consider like John, is his name Daly, Carson Daly, a music journalist? He is actually from my hometown of oh. Santa Monica. Oh, wow. I would think of him as a music journalist. You know, he kind of, he got started in radio. Um, I believe he was in radio here, too, at some point. I think he was on uh, KITS, the alternative station, for yeah. a period of time. But yes, I would definitely consider him a, a music journalist. journalist. Yeah. Yes. And then he did a TV show. He had his own TV show for a couple of years. Right. Is he still doing it? No, I, he's, he does like, a, he doesn't look burnt out, but he does like YouTube, in, YouTube interviews where it's oh, like, okay. fuck, I'm, I still look like a scallop and there's no more MTV. That Isn't sucks. that sad? But that he sucks. was lucky. He was kind of, he wasn't in like the, the 80s era. I mean, he was more like 90s, 2000s. But I remember watching him growing up and maybe I never really said it out loud. But Did yeah. you guys ever cross paths? No, because I think he was, he's probably at least 10 years older Okay. than me. Yep. But I knew that, you know, he went to some of the same schools that I did. Um, unfortunately, I went to school with Stephen Miller. No, I don't know who that is. He's one of Trump's top advisors. And I have nothing in common with that son of a bitch. But anyways. <laughs> um, but yes, we did not cross paths. Um, but good for him. You know, he had a he had a good long career at MTV. And then, like I said, in, in radio. So, I mean, it's kind of the ideal path. I think Jimmy Kimmel, kind of a side note, he started in radio as well. He was Jimmy on- Kimmel. I'm trying to match the face. He, um, I need to Google it now. What was he look like? Of, <laughs> he used to be kind of a bigger guy and then he lost weight. Oh, the guy with the glaring eyes? Yes. The glaring eyes. Oh, yes. yes. yes He's yes, from yes, Las Jimmy. Vegas. He's very, like, outspoken now about, like, you know what's what goes on like he's very emotional like he was emotional about the las vegas shooting because that's his hometown um but he's really funny um he has the what are those uh forgot a segment about tweets where the celebrities oh read read mean tweets yeah that's 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 a funny one but he was best friends or maybe he still is best friends with adam carolla who i used to listen to on a show called love line with dr drew uh and uh, 
that show was also on MTV for a period of time. Started on radio, became a TV show for a short period of time. But I feel like, wow, it's like all connected. Like, it just matters like where you start, um, how hungry you are, and uh, how much work you put into it, I think. Totally. But it does help that there are men. <laughs> Since MTV kind of lost its... Yeah. its, uh, it's uh, luminescence or luminosity what has been what has replaced that i think it's youtube channels have actually taken over definitely everyone is trying to be like the 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 focal point of uh culture and stuff it's like it's like do we really need to do interviews i think that you do because if you just on social media or youtube it's just what you think it's your perspective but if you have somebody else interviewing you on the youtube channel or instagram it's a little bit more interesting does that make sense instead of instead of them thinking they know what questions to answer i don't know yeah. I'm just trying to but more f- about this film festival can you talk more about <laughs> it yeah, yeah. <laughs> it was at the moma it was. Um, there was a screening at the MoMA. Uh, the one that I did for Echo in the Canyon, that was actually at the Castro because they had a screening of the film. And then they had a Q&A after. And then Jacob and Jade, uh, she was in uh, Edward Sharp and the Magnetic Zeros um, and is no longer in that group. But she has a fantastic voice. And they actually had a full band and did a couple songs from the film. They did covers of songs from the film. So that was pretty special and um you know growing up in socal it's like i'm familiar with the laurel canyon scene i grew up you know listening to you know 60s 70s all that stuff and then obviously you know the 90s as well so that was all familiar that was all known to me but it was nice to get more of a backstory on it me being you know a music nerd like we talked about um it was a good experience um i'll treasure it forever and recommend the film especially since it was probably tom you know tom petty and the heartbreakers one of the most famous groups from the 70s and 80s uh that's probably his last one of the last interviews he did so definitely check it out brian wilson is featured um i think there's uh, neil young He's he's not interviewed, but they have a scene where he's like playing guitar at the end of the film, which was kind of interesting. People were like, well, why didn't you have an interview with Neil Young? <laughs> he was in a band that was also talked about, Buffalo Springfield, um, uh, various members of the Birds. What know. was a weird question? Because yeah. I'm also like a, I produce electronic music. Yes. When, like in the 90s, back in like Laurel Canyon, what did bands and musicians think of like, visibility and privacy where they like i am here like i'm wide open look at all my shit talk about me is is visibility in the history of music has visibility been a an issue or a or something that all artists and musicians really take seriously do you mean in terms of getting the music out there getting there i think just as a human I think they were open to it, honestly. Because were they just playing along? Like, hey, guys, let's just play along with this shit. I think let's make they, it fun. I think they were similar to us in that they were, you know, open to it and willing to, you know, do anything to kind of make it busking in the streets, if you will. I think yep. Beck was doing that up until a few years ago. Mm-hmm. Actually, Dave Grohl from uh, Foo Fighters was doing it in Seattle like a week or two ago, which was incredible. 
sad I missed it. Um, but yeah, I think it's just a generational difference in that they didn't have access to, you know, social, iPhones. Yeah, they didn't yeah. have that technology. So they did whatever they did. They would play shows. They would, you know, go to radio stations, do interviews, go on local TV stations, what have you. They would pretty much do anything to That's get dope. the word out there. They weren't as particular about it, I think. As that now. answered my question. Wow. Did it? Okay. Yeah. I dope. think that's that's how that's how it went, and that was the dream, you know, get signed to a record label, get your music video on MTV, you're gold, you made it, but that destroyed some people too. Right. Keep that in mind. But yes, definitely check out Echo in the Canyon uh, if you're interested. It kind of segues or. I feel like is a, a good bookend for uh, the Jim Marshall story because they both focus on that time period, the 60s and the 70s. Some of the groups are different, but same time period there. So I thought that was kind of interesting. Um, but yeah, you never know. The reason I do bring up like visibility, if if like Skrillex or Diplo were just like, was Jack U, if Jack U was just like loitering the streets of San Francisco... <laughs> There would be a problem. Like people nowadays, musicians and artists, they need bodyguard. Like there'll be videos of like, oh, Beyonce hits the studio in NYC and there's like dozens of paparazzi there and flashing cameras and I'm like, Leave Kanye alone. He's just trying to go to like Burger King in his in his Lamborghini. Like I feel like LA is more of that that uh tonality. SF's a bit more chill, for sure. It's a bit more chill. Sometimes yeah. you'll see celebrities here. I think my mom saw, do you know the actress Robin Wright? Robin Wright? I think she's on House of Cards, and she was in Wonder Woman. She's been in a lot of mm-hmm. films. She's she's older now, but um, my mom saw her randomly on a holiday. She was here visiting me for the holidays. I was like, what? <laughs> yeah. How does that happen? Um, but yeah, it does happen more often in Southern California, for sure. Yeah. Um, but I felt starstruck meeting Catherine Gunn. I think we taught we're going to be playing some of those interviews coming oh, up. Oh, cool. But um, just, you know, knowing that she kind of risked everything to try and stop the war. Unfortunately, it still happened and is still happening. Um, but the fact that, you know, she's a strong character, um, you know, willing to take a risk there, putting her life at risk, pretty much. Right. Um, so you did talk about, oh, the UK was like, oh, U.S. wants to go to war? Like, let's, let us join yeah. this uh, soiree. Right. Like, what, what was that about? Like, I, I totally over my head. Yeah, um, no, you're fine. Um, so the premise of the film is pretty much she is in a department where she's um, allotted to this information. She receives an email memo that's saying, hey, this is, you know, the U.S. and the U.K. are in league on this. How can they convince people to agree to it? So her way of, uh, you know, leaking that information that wasn't supposed to be leaked to the press was, you know, giving it to somebody that she knew in a different department. And then the journalist, Martin Bright, uh, somehow comes across this memo in a in a, a car park or a parking garage. This is nonfiction. Yeah, this really happened. Oh, true. <laughs> like, what is this from? Yeah. What? I was like, what book is that yeah, from? Yeah, yeah, It was a very well-written book. No, this actually happened in real life. Um, the film's called Official Secrets, and it's starring... Oh, God, what the hell is his name? He's the guy that plays... Uh, 
Prince Philip or King Philip in nice. the Crown. Matthew. You seem you seem pretty detail oriented. Like too detailed. The the extent of my detail is like people in the Silicon Valley microdose acid to be creative. <laughs> that's like my go to fact for people. I'm like, it could work. yeah, dude, all these techie guys microdose acid, and that's why they're brilliant and smart and rich. So I need to do my homework, my oh. HW. I, I got to do my HW with music. I want to be rich too. <laughs> Go buy some acid. Should I microdose? Okay. I have my CBD too. You know? yes. um, but yes, uh, did some interviews with the director coming up. Uh, Gavin Hood. Martin Bright is played by Matt Smith. He is also in The Crown. And he is also, he was in Doctor Who, which is a really popular UK TV show from like the 60s. Um, But he plays uh, Martin Bright. And then obviously Catherine Gunn is played by none other than Keira Knightley, who unfortunately wasn't there. Um, But I had a chance to talk to them before the show. And it was a great film. And uh, I don't know, it didn't hit me till afterwards, but we can talk about that after. Great, let's play Play the the interview. This is with uh, director Gavin Hood. Sorry. Aisha from Mutiny Aisha. Radio. Nice to meet you, Gavin. Hi, Aisha. Very nice to meet you, too. What was it like working with Kira Knightley? Well, I've got to tell you, Kira was probably the most consummate professional I've worked with. Um, the thing that's exciting working with Kira on this project is we're used to seeing her in corsets and, and, and hairdos and all sorts of things, and I think what attracted her to this, at least that's what she said to me, was she gets to just play almost herself. It's very Kira with very little makeup. Um, in ordinary clothes in a very contemporary drama and and I think you'll find her performance is really quite extraordinary and um, it's very grounded and and she's such a pro and um, you know we had very little time to shoot so there wasn't time to have any kind of you know someone who didn't know their lines and mm. she is such a professional and it was it was a joy to work with absolutely and what do you want people to take away from this film I think what drew me to this film is really the question of, you know, what would you do if you found yourself in a situation at work where you felt something wasn't quite right? Most of us are afraid to speak up um, for fear of losing our jobs. And in this particular case, you have a young woman who risked not only losing her job by speaking up, but also her freedom. So what um, I, I think one of the things that drew me to the story is it's a story of an, of an ordinary person. This is not the story of some. It's not not the story of a famous famous person. This is a story of a person not unlike you or I who goes to work every day and finds that something at work is really not right, right. and chooses to say something about it. Mm-hmm. And and although she's a spy and it all sounds very exotic and of course that's part of the thrill of watching the movie and it's about the lead up to the Iraq war and the leaking of an NSA memo and um, you know the, trying to spy on UN delegates it's got all that intrigue but at the heart of it is a young person at work saying something here isn't right and I need to do something about it and the question for me when I came across Catherine, Catherine Gunn's story was well, what would I do? Would I have the courage to speak up at the risk not only of losing my job but my freedom too? So um, I I like the fact that it's in a way a story about one of us as opposed to a hugely famous person. Totally. And um, it kind of goes with the territory. I think right now it's probably the best time for it to come out considering the Mueller report just came out a couple days ago. And Do you feel like it ties in with that? It's interesting. I think we're in a kind of post-truth world and we're hoping to stop being in a post-truth world but you know does objective truth matter and and or is it just whatever anyone can sell to the public and i think we're all a little unsettled by that and and uh, um what i think is fascinating about the story is that it 
digs into the way we got into the Iraq war in a way that very few people know. Mm -hmm. This attempt to gather information on particularly the non-permanent members of the UN Security Council and see if there was a way to manipulate them into voting for war. It's, it's quite disgusting, frankly. Um, and, and here comes the truth. And I do think that history has a way of uncovering the truth. And sometimes as filmmakers, we're a little behind uh, on the events. This is a story that took place in 2003. Mm -hmm. But I do think it resonates really strongly today that, that somehow the truth will out. And here it comes. Absolutely. Anyway. Thank you so much for your time. Thank you so much. Look, looking forward to it. Um, thank you very much indeed. Have a good thank one. You, you too. Thank you. Thank you. Ooh, that was Gavin. Ooh. He was so easy to interview. We were just talking about how it's people who are like in the industry, whether it's film or music, like they've been doing it for a while. Yeah. They just know. They know what's up. <laughs> yeah. It's it's not hard to to get an interview going, but with some of the the newer artists, it's you know it's sometimes hard. You just have to grease the wheel, the best that you can, you know. But it helps yeah. when they have a project that they're passionate about, or you know, a new release, or an upcoming appearance, or you know, show that they're doing, because right. that's kind of what it's centered and based around, and that makes it a lot easier to make it happen instead of you like well. We could do it this way, or I don't know why this person doesn't want to talk to me. <laughs> but yeah, it happened. The last interview I had, I'm like, um, this is awkward. I want to leave. <laughs> and was it a video? And I still posted it. It's oh, it's did? still there. Like this, this a uh, this a uh, actual badge on my oh, jean cool. jackets from like them. It. But off the sometimes off the cuff is not does not work out. Do you think that people who are actually being interviewed, they kind of understand the climate of, of, of people who ask the questions? Most of the time, yes. But then again, it really depends. Some people, I don't know, I talked to this one guy, I'm not going to say what band it was, but they were pretty well known. Yeah. And he was just in a mood. Like I could tell he was really like irritated. And I'm like, this has nothing to do with me. I'm just helping him promote his fucking projects. Yeah. <laughs> but it just didn't go well. You go into it, at least I do, with a positive attitude, thinking it's going to go great. I'm going to put my best foot forward. But not everyone's going to, you know, reciprocate that. It's kind of like life. Like you you think that you're going to get back what you put in and most of the time you will, but other times you're just going to get shit. Yeah. <laughs> Moral of the story from DJ Asia. Yeah. <laughs> so what did you think of those interviews so far? Does anything stand out to you? British sounding stoic as British. always. Um, don't know too much about London, but I've been there before. I've been there a few times. Yeah, it's great. I lived there for two summers when I was a lot younger in my early days. Um, I went there two years ago. I was there for like two weeks for work and then I kind of fit in some traveling. I went to Belgium too for a couple of days. Right, right. Um, I love listening to Annie Mac and Todd Lattee of, they, of BBC Radio. BBC? Yeah. The BBC. Yeah, there's a, there's a huge grime scene in uh, there is in uh, in the UK. There's lots of like black people in the UK. <laughs> there are. There's a lot of um, you know Jamaican, Jamaican yeah, islanders. Um, there's lots of uh, there's lots of uh, what are those things called? Handpans or uh, uh, the things that they play? Shakers? In, like, no, it's like they play it. Uh, 
They're ca- this oh. instrument. It's called the uh, steel drum. Is that what it is? I was steel like, drum. I know what it is, but I can't say it. <laughs> that is dope. That is really cool. Yeah, you're right. They have a big grime scene. Have you heard of Garage? UK Garage. UK Garage. Of course, from the '90s. Yeah, totally. Do, do you remember? This is gonna make me sound old. Lady Sovereign. I think I, I think this I do before, have a track. This, it's before Ariana Grande. It's funny. I I produce electronic music, and people, obviously, different parts of the world have different aesthetics as far as sound goes. If you actually type uh, synths and samples, and then in the Google search put co.uk, it's supposed to direct you to like, okay, these are all the sounds that the people in the UK are using. Oh, interesting. But I think the real secret of electronic music, which I focus on, is that producers and musicians have secrets. They have secrets that they will never tell anyone else. And I think that's the whole point, to create your own secret absolutely existential palo and i don't know i think it's i think garage and just an offshoot from what we were talking about garage and grime is kind of more interesting to me i don't know maybe because it's not american we're like oh that's interesting but yeah it is kind of a thing over there i know lily the artist lily allen she's more of a ooh smile she does smile she does a yep. lot of collaborations over, you know, recently actually with, you know, grime, hip hop, garage artists. So I think that's kind of interesting. Um, Shiesty is another, you know, M- UK MC. I don't think she used to have a TV show. Have you heard of the band Madness from yes, the UK? Madness. I, I want to see them live. What do you know about Madness? Um, I know they have that, that album cover or that picture where they're all going like this. They're doing the Egyptian thing. <laughs> Yeah, and then they have um, a couple good songs. Um, you know, that came out in the eighties. Um, I've never actually seen them live. I've seen some of their bands that were around. I love, I love how they frame styles in different decades. Like, yes. of course, now like people that are so called crunchy pretend to be in like, oh, I'm in the sixties and seventies. In twenty nineteen, I'm crunchy. <laughs> Is that what they say? That's I'm the word. Crunchy. Yeah, it's like. <laughs> Crunchy? What do you mean, crunchy? That's hilarious. But yeah, I feel like styles were framed so much. Crunchy. I feel like styles were framed so much better earlier in time. Absolutely. Do you feel like in the 80s, though, they were kind of siphoning off of like the 50s and the 60s? Because it, was, it wasn't that that far away. Like it was closer. I think the 80s was like, my mind has been altered from using cocaine in the 70s. So I'm just fucked up now in the 80s. Love it. Well, two bands that my parents used to go see shows uh, became really popular, like on a on a major scale, and sold a lot of records. Oingo Boingo, they were on a lot of soundtracks and had really elaborate um, live shows. And actually, Danny Elfman, who went on to work with Tim Burton, and did a lot of all the most of the soundtracks to all the Tim Burton films, most of the films. Um, He's going to be like in Redwood City with like an orchestra which is interesting uh and then the other one was the go-go's and they actually started as a, a punk band in uh los angeles and then they you know went on to become a famous uh one of the best-selling female all-female groups of all time which is kind of interesting the go-go's yeah wow um yeah i went to see them a while back with my mom and that was pretty fun she was like oh yeah i remember them <laughs> 
But um, I don't know. A lot of bands, sometimes they'll do reunions. Um, there's a band called Flipper. I'm going to be seeing them in July. They're also from that era, 1979. Yeah. Um, but sometimes that's like, wow, they're actually getting back together. It's been 40 years. <laughs> I feel like I feel like the main the main purpose, I think Google's mission statement and thesis is this. Yeah. Do not expose the underground underground <laughs> comedy or underground music. Google's like, Whatever's okay, I know all you Whatever's hipsters are trying to Google underground SF music. Nothing fucking comes up, man. Like, uh, what's up with that? They're like, people search that shit. They're like... I want to know about the underground. I've been to like one after hours kind of undergroundish show and I was not impressed. Where was but it? It was uh, right off market on like 6th or 7th. Oh, neat. In okay. this like Excuse disclosed me. location. But uh, uh-huh. I feel like Google's main uh, job is to like not expose the underground, underground comedy like right now. Yeah. Underground podcast. Pam- this is an underground podcast, no? It really is. Yeah. I haven't broke the mainstream yet. <laughs> yeah. But I'm getting there. I'm working on it. But sometimes, like, I'll hear music where I'm like, I'll buy a record at a store and I'll be like, all right, this is pretty fucking underground. How do they make that? Yeah, how did it all come I'll buy a record be? and I'll be like, hmm, this is very alien and foreign to me. And that's a good question. I like asking bands because I interview mostly rock bands, but sometimes they're more electronic. Sometimes it's just one person. Do you record at home? Do you record in a studio? So if they record in a studio, it's most likely because they know someone or it's their own studio that they have, you know, money to shell out for. But a lot of times they're doing it DIY all themselves. Do you know anyone at Noise Pop down the street? I have one connection. Yes. I did try to get tickets to the most recent one that happened a couple weeks ago. Yeah. But I was late. I was late to the party. Their, their headquarters is like a block away. Yeah. Have you, do you know them? Yeah. I, I interviewed, I think, Shauna and I met Kevin Arnold oh, of Noise Pop. Kevin Arnold. Sounds Kevin Arnold. 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 <laughs> they have such a great aesthetic. Have you seen their website? Yes, I have. Dude. Oh my God. It's so perfect. I'll have to, I haven't looked at it recently though. But they've kind of, they've been around for a while, but they've kind of broke out from the mold the past couple of years and they do the that block party well they sponsor all those shows the no- noise pop fest and then they do the block party i think in august yeah and they kind of do it with us because like you said local right. artists and vendors that yeah. should Which I, is I, good. i'm pretty sure someone has a tattoo that says local artists and vendors mm-hmm. that's yes. uh are we are we a minuscule uh, i'm very curious yeah is mutiny radio like just one of the kind of hubs for radio in the yes. in the mission? Yes. Because I know that more. there's like a mm-hmm. best friend radio or something like that. Yes, BFF. BFF. Or there's I think Radio Valencia. Radio is Valencia. Still yeah, yeah, yeah. There's FCC Free Radio up the street on like Fifth and Folsom. I want to say I think they're still there. They moved like once or twice. I think that's it. Is there more? <laughs> I don't know. Those are the only ones I know of. Some people have tried to convince us to go to FCC, but we were The mission is definitely cool. Definitely cool. Yeah. I mean, it's, I think it's rare that people get the opportunity to do this. I mean, there's, do you know people who do this like in their bedroom or they just do it at home and they don't want to be around people? Actually, before joining Mutiny, I was doing podcasts by myself. How did you feel? In my house on Ableton Live. I was recording podcasts. How did you feel doing it that way versus doing it here? 
I feel like I have more listeners here. I, of course, uh, you know, as a creator and music journalist or blogger, yeah. there's a certain layer of surveillance, you know? So, uh, yeah, I've kind of accepted that all of the stuff that I broadcast or create, people are going to fucking see it. So I deal with it, you know? Oh, another- We're not all stealth with this shit. We can't, we're not constantly in rogue. Like we have to accept that we're on blast and we, in turn, we put people on blast sometimes. Yeah, I just say shit about Trump because I'm like, okay, I made a joke one time on my podcast. Yeah. And I said, Hood Chef got that OJ. (laughs) What does that mean to you? What does that mean to you? I said it in a podcast, Hood Chef got that OJ. What does that mean to you? I'm thinking of the cook on South Park. What was his name? Chef. (laughs) No, but. (laughs) That's what I think of. Hood Chefs use orange juice and they marinate like chicken and flank steaks and then some like vice director or editor will shoot a video of a hood chef is a is a chef in like for example los angeles a hood chef is a would would cook in like a front yard in compton nice and they use orange juice to marinate their their meats i like it i like it so i'm glad that i can say things now at mutiny radio that i would have said in in the in the loneliness of my home I can just share it with whoever's listening to Mutiny. So Absolutely. I'm I'm glad to be here. Yay. Yeah, you can direct the podcast. Sorry if I brought you no. a little deep no. to the deeper end. So I love it. Let's uh let's talk. It's more fun for me when I have somebody to bounce off of instead of just like la 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 la. I am just one run on sentence for two hours. <laughs> yeah, it's like sometimes I'm like audiobook, yeah. audiobook, yeah. initiate. Right. Fucking yeah. Question for you, and then yeah, we'll yeah. play this last interview that I did with Martin Bright and Catherine Gunn. Uh, were you influenced at all by Anthony Bourdain, or were you familiar with Bourdain? Them? Bourdain. Yeah, of course. Um, whew, my life has actually been so eventful and hectic, and I was always that popular person that I never had to escape to watch someone who was obviously good at people. Um, so I lots of my high school years was like marijuana from the apothecarium watching planet earth in blu-ray um but yeah bourdain he passed away i'm really sad about that he did that's Last very year. terrible yeah i didn't realize he passed away in france he was in, in a, france in a uh, in a french uh hotel yeah kind of romantic in that way not yeah. how he died but yeah. being in france <laughs> yeah. But um yeah, I feel like when he died, I realized how I knew he was influential on the station in general. He he'd actually been here um yep. before Pam and I started. Um but yeah, he kind of, you know, crossed, you know, paths with the station and was featured on not Parts Unknown, but the one he did before that. I think it was No Reservations. Yeah. Um yeah, and just, you know, watching that clip and then thinking, wow, I've been watching the show for the past couple of years and it's something I really look forward to and And behind the, behind the lens, Zach Zamboni, yes. who lives in Portland. Oh, nice. Zach Zamboni. He had a lot of interesting people work on the show that were in a documentary after he died. Yep. Um, I mean, well, Bourdain is obviously def- definitively sexy. Okay, every person... Uh, aspires to be that sexy but he just pulled it off in a way that was just like god damn it's just like damn sexy ass board and great 
great sexy ass Bourdain. Let's watch all his shit. Let's so. watch this shit. So, so many good episodes. Yeah. Um, he took uh, W. Kamau Bell, who is a local uh, Oakland Bay Area a comedian. He has a show on CNN called uh, Sh- uh, United Shades of America. He took him to Kenya. And that was one. I think that was the last episode. And I really enjoyed watching it because, you know, Anthony's like in his element, like, yeah, I've done this before. Like, I know where to go. I know what to eat. And then W. Kamau Bell is literally like this the whole time. Like his jaw is on the floor. Like yeah, I'm like Anthony Bourdain on another <laughs> Anthony Bourdain on another plastic stool in a foreign country. Exactly. He looks like it's so funny when he sits on plastic stools because he's like six, six. He sits all like, you know, just like very... <laughs> so tall. Yeah, you're like, fuck, man. He looks so fucking tall. Um, but it's like, he... go have pho with uh, fucking Barack Obama, why don't you? He did a great episode. It's of... dark in here. Can we not... Yeah. Are we going to do shadow puppets? It's dark as fuck in this room. Yeah, I love having the lights off, by the way. Oh, okay. It, there's been Let's times... Let's turn it on. If I turn on the light, maybe when I was... Oh, shoot. Disgusting. Oh, Wait, where's the light? <laughs> oh, it's behind you. <laughs> That was funny. <laughs> I thought you were chasing a ghost, man. Yeah. Anyways, just to wrap it up about Anthony Bourdain. So yeah, many great Bourdain, episodes, Bourdain. especially the last season. If you guys haven't watched it, last official episode, Lower East Side talks to band members of Blondie, Lydia Lunch, who was here recently, a lot of avant-garde underground artists from the time that he was our age, when he was growing up in New York City. He was a drug addict. And he was really open about it, but he talked about the artist that really inspired him to do what he ended up doing. It's somehow all tied together. Really incredible to watch. Um, it is funny when Bourdain, like, he starts his voiceover, like he says, and yeah. Toronto. He first he, oh, he yeah, just yeah. he just drops the anvil. Bourdain is like drops the anvil. He's like Toronto. But if I were to like fly to Toronto, I'd be like. Toronto um, in the airport and it just looks foreign but he has so much to say he yeah. drops that anvil like Dallas filled with blah 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 barbecue blah 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 and he goes on into this eloquent he just drops the anvil and then bam eloquent about the location and then he'd been to so many places more than once so he had all of that past knowledge that he's he a could. traveler he's a traveler yeah world traveler um he did an episode about the Bronx that was really good. I've never actually been there. I've been to New York. Haven't been to the Bronx. Um, or some other ones that were good. Uh, he went to downtown LA. He went to Koreatown and went to Sizzler. That was probably one of the first episodes he did for Parts Unknown. So many good episodes. Not enough time to go over. What is his discography? Is it Layover, No Reservations, yes. and then? Yes, I think so. I have to go back and watch some of that older stuff. Yeah. Um, I think he was on the Food Network at some point, but that might have been one of the yeah. other. Anyways, great guy. And last interview uh, that we're going to play for you is with uh, the journalist Martin Bright and subject matter of the film Official Secrets. It's going to be out in a couple months. They're going to get a major release. And again, it's starring uh, Kira Knightley um, as the main protagonist and Matt Smith. Go check it out, people. Okay. All right. Dope. So nice to meet you. Nice to meet you too. And tell us a little bit more about how you're involved with the film. So I'm Martin Bright. I'm the journalist that broke the story of the Cosa memo, the Catherine Gunn story. Uh, and 
thanks to the generosity of Gavin Hood, uh, I've been involved from the beginning of this project uh, in an advisory role. Uh, every step of the way, Gavin was very keen to make this entirely accurate, to follow the events as they happened, and to make sure that this was uh, a true representation of the events that, of 2003. Absolutely, and what are you looking forward to seeing the most this evening? You know what, I'm looking forward the most to watching the film with an audience in San Francisco and seeing how people respond to this film. I've seen the film. Yeah. Uh, I've watched it with small audiences, but I've never seen it with a large public audience. And this is a film that is designed for um, the widest audience possible. So I'm really fascinated to see how people respond to it. Yes, absolutely. Have you had a chance to see any other films while you've been here? I haven't, actually. <laughs> but, but I did go and see um, a David Thompson masterclass about Cary Grant. Very different. Oh. But it was fantastic. Oh, so. my God. He's, a, he's an original. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, let's hope that, uh, that Matt Smith can at least channel some of the spirit of Cary Grant in his portrayal of me. Oh, yes, absolutely. <laughs> Just like The Crown, too, right? Yeah, exactly. Great TV show. Well, yeah. nice to meet you. Thanks so much. And you. Much. Okay. Have a good Thanks one. Thanks a lot. Bye-bye. Hey, nice to meet you. Hi, nice to meet you. Sorry. <laughs> Looking forward to seeing the film. Thank you. Thanks so much for your time. Thank you. And tell us a little bit how you were able to make this film and how that came together. Um, well, the film, it started off as a book and then a script was developed from the book. Um, and it just grew from there. It was a, quite a slow process, but mm -hmm. I'm, you know, really pleased with the results and I grateful to everybody who's contributed absolutely and kind of a personal question but how has your relationship changed with your husband since the events took place well I mean we've been married 17 years so um, it hasn't diminished and I'm still in love with my husband so. <laughs> that's good <laughs> and what are you looking forward to this evening in terms of a particular scene or uh, something that'll bring back memories for you because you lived it uh, well I haven't seen this version I haven't seen the final version I saw the final cut mm -hmm. um, as did my husband we watched it together and for both of us the most emotional scene was when I was sitting in the police custody when I was um, you know we were kind of, he was on the outside and I was on the inside so that brought memories back and we both had tears in our eyes gotcha definitely and what do you want people to take away from this film um, I think the main thing is to uh, take a moment and just think um, what, where you would draw the line for making a decision that you would feel right about, that you would feel was, you know, the right thing to do. Where would, where would you draw that line? Absolutely. Thank you so much for your time and look forward to seeing the film. Okay, great. Have a great night. Enjoy it. <laughs> Thank you. She was so adorable. <laughs> um, so anytime, you know, people are doing like a press line, I don't know if it was different for San Francisco, because um, it's not on a huge scale, like, you know, Hollywood, for instance, like working the red carpet 
carpet at a man's Chinese theater. <laughs> Maybe one day a girl can dream. But anyways, it was an absolute pleasure, and I enjoyed working with the staff at San Francisco Film Festival, uh, Lanzia in particular. Shout out to her. Um, she's from a, a Salt Lake City originally, flew out here just for the festival, and I'm sure it was an amazing experience. Um, I was mostly just involved on the music side of things, but um, obviously if Karen Knightley is in a film, definitely have to check it out. Um, you know, she gave a stellar performance. Uh, Catherine seemed pretty happy about it in the Q&A session and it was interesting just to meet the director Kevin Hood uh, Martin Bright again he's the subject one of the subjects of the film the original journalist that broke the story and Catherine Gunn is a subject matter uh, you might remember as a whistleblower uh, letting us know about you know the US government and the UK government kind of in cahoots to get the Iraq war started <laughs> she tried to stop it but um, you know sometimes um yeah, you know, like some of the, I'm going to compare it to Elizabeth Warren, actually, because I held an event to a couple weeks ago, an organizing event. And ever since then, I mean, she's been in the news um, pretty much every day. And she's pre- I feel like she's standing up for people like me, um, working people, not just in the Bay Area, not just in the major cities, but let's face it, across the country. She's going to a lot of places where some of the other you know, presidential hopefuls in the democratic field aren't necessarily going to. And she's talking about things that really affect people, you know, across the country, talking about economics. Uh, She has a a few plans that I think are, um, you know, worthwhile uh, looking at that I don't really hear the other candidates talking about. Just keep in mind, I have kind of a peripheral view when it comes to that stuff. I definitely... I haven't had a chance to watch all of the debates that happened last week, but I'm definitely focused on her as my as my candidate, the person that speaks to me, you know, directly. But now that Joe Biden has joined, um, you know, he's joined the, the fray. People are saying that he should be the winner or you should vote for him. I really think you should not rely on what other people are saying. And think of it like Catherine did. Do you think she was going to listen to her superiors and do exactly what they told her to do? No, she stepped out of the fray. She stepped out of her box and did what she thought was right. I believe that Elizabeth Warren is doing that. Even though it might not be popular, even though people are going to come out with things that about her past that... You know, let's face it, she is being Hillaried to a certain extent because she is a, um, a strong, you know, she's a strong woman and uh, she has the experience and she has a lot of great policies and ways to pay for things. You know, she's really thought it through. So definitely give her a chance and just think for yourself, people. That's all I can say. I know it's hard with, you know, social media and you know, we're so compounded with all of this information. And I think it's great if people want to go off of Facebook or take a break from it, do whatever you need to do. You do you. But um, I don't know. I'm just paying attention to things that speak to me and things that don't speak to me. I'm just going to fight hard against them because I don't know what else to do at this point. You got to stand for something. So Just so you know, you probably already know, Elizabeth Warren is my choice for president, and I'm going to do everything I can to get her into the primaries. 
that are apparently happening in March of next year. Let me know if I'm wrong. <laughs> and you can uh, find us on Facebook, Sounds from the Street. We're always looking for donations. Uh, stay tuned for possible merchandise at some point. Just uh, just an idea I'm putting out there. But we are taking donations through a GoFundMe page, and I believe the link is on Facebook. And if you want to reach out to me for any other reason, you can do so via email, aciaspearman at gmail.com. I'd love to hear from you. Um, have a, I'm taking a break the next week or so, going out of town next week, and then the week after. I might be going to a show in Oakland at the lovely Starline uh, Ballroom in Oakland. It's kind of a nice venue, actually. It kind of reminds me of the Elbow Room, but uh, double the size. <laughs> a little bit bigger. And then I think after that, it might be airing an interview I did with either Gang of Four or Monochrome Set because I have yet to do that. It's been kind of hectic this year. I've had a couple of health things going on, but I'm just trying to stay positive and keep things on the mend. Well, anyways, uh, I will close, close it out and stay tuned for more Mutiny Radio. If you fancy to Some of the new ones.